You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Every square inch, the common grace of God. A wise friend for the win. It is not uncommon to hear another Christian pray about the common grace of God. It goes a little something like this. Dear God, we pray for little Susie, who is in the hospital, and we thank you for the common grace of medicine. These type of prayers are fine, of course, but the common grace of God goes deeper and wider than the common grace of Advil or Tylenol or essential oils, if you will. So what is the common grace of God? And what does the common grace tell us about God? I think the answer is a direct application of this axiom. And I quote, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Abraham Kuyper. You can check out my other blog about Kuyper's statement here. Common grace defined. Kuiper's axiom got me thinking about the implications of the rule of Christ over all things. In what ways does the Bible tell us Christ owns every square inch? And particularly speaking, how does Scripture connect with creation? One point of connection is the common grace of God. Here's a solid definition of common grace, and I quote, Common grace is God's general favor by which he restrains sin and its consequences, maintains human life and culture, and bestows a variety of gifts and blessings to all people indiscriminately. Common grace is the grace by which God cares for creation and fallen humanity by upholding and providentially guiding creation despite the devastating effects of the fall. End quote. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his disciples to love their enemies. And one of the points he makes is common grace. And I quote, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Matthew 5, verse 45. I live a few minutes outside of the Des Moines metro, and my home is surrounded by soy and cornfields. Farmers plant and harvest on those fields, and the rain falls, and the sun shines on those fields regardless of the religion of the farmer. Now, common grace points to the existence of God, but that is another argument for another day. Staying on topic, we also read in Psalm 145, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Psalm 145, verse 9. Every person on planet Earth does not deserve to wake up in the morning and breathe the air. But God's common grace and mercy is given to all. Without a doubt, the common grace of God is a road sign pointing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over all things. Upholding all things. 
The component that allows common grace to be sustained is the authority of Jesus Christ. The common grace of God is seen in Hebrews 1.3, and I quote, He upholds the universe by the word of his power, end quote. Christ is Lord, and it is the authority deriving from his lordship in which the universe is upheld. The moment Christ does not uphold all things by the word of his power is when the world falls in on itself. Without God's grace, pagans will immediately be situated in one of Dante's nine circles of hell. But as it stands, God's common grace is more evident than an elephant at a dog shelter. Not salvific grace. I have one point of clarification. There is a significant difference between the common grace of God and the salvific or special grace of God. The grace of God that saves is more profound and more significant than the type of grace that causes the sun to shine and the sky to open up with rain. Universalists conflate common grace with saving grace. They march in the same band as the rest of the heretics of church history. The moment common grace and saving grace are conflated, we have a graceless gospel that is inadequate to redeem wretched sinners. We would have a listless and neutered Lord. So, let's not confuse the two, and let us go out of our way to ensure the two are never mixed. Sodom and Gomorrah In Genesis 18 and 19, we read about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not interested in this blog post to take up the central issue of Genesis 18 and 19, but I'll sum it up. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were in sexual sin en masse. Moses pleads with God to spare the city if only ten righteous people lived in Sodom, Genesis 18, 27-33. Well, it turns out there were not ten righteous people in Sodom. Therefore, the Lord rained down sulfur on the cities. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were so grievous that everything needed to be burned to the ground. The Lord is righteous, and it was his prerogative to execute justice. But why does God not rain down sulfur on America? Is God unaware of what takes place in June every year, and the events of June have become a 365-day type of thing? The reason rain still falls from the sky, and not sulfur, is God's common grace. I am not entirely sure why God is patient, but if I had to guess, the book of Romans gives us a hint. And I quote, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them, do them not yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That's Romans 2, verses 3 and 4. We should not be presumptuous, but perhaps he is patient because there are still more than 10 righteous people in America, and at least 10 people still believe in God's common and saving grace. Worshiping the one behind common grace. So where are we at with the common grace of God? Because Christ is Lord over every square inch of the earth, the Lord can allow his common grace to prevail. But all of this should lead us to worship. 
We do not worship the sun and the sky or the rain that falls. Pantheism has been tried, and it has failed. True believers in Jesus Christ worship the Lord over all and bear witness to his power and might, and may I add, kindness and grace. Our worship is a testimony to the world, longing for answers about their existence, and God's common grace is an entry point into that conversation. The conversation is not over. This blog is hardly a primer about God's common grace. But, as I said, the reality of God's common grace goes deeper and wider. It affects homes, communities, art, science, and politics. As Abraham Kuyper says, Christianity, particularly Calvinism, is a life system. I'm currently reading Kuyper's Six Stones Lecture, where he teases out more of the implications of God's common grace. And I look forward to reporting to you some of the details of his finding. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.